So often when I speak with, with people who didn't grow up in the church, um, the reason why they say they choose not to believe in God or not believe in Jesus is because they haven't seen him. And they'll always say this. They'll always say, well, seeing is believing. But seeing isn't always believing. For example, if I present you with an Oreo and an apple, and then the nutrition facts between those two, though you have seen, you will not act in belief. Right? You pick the Oreo. If I said, would you rather spend an hour surfing YouTube videos or cleaning your house? You've already made that choice, I know. (laughs) If I say V8 or a double tall vanilla latte... <laughs> if if you speak to and this is this is maybe harder this isn't as funny if you speak to someone who's struggled with alcoholism and you present them with water or alcohol right talk about seeing talk about seeing the destruction it's had in your own life or the destruction it has had in the lives of those around you and still even though you've seen what it has done or what it can do what it will do if you continue drinking, still, even though we've seen that, we, we choose to not believe. Uh, mathematician philosopher Blaise Pascal, he said, the heart has its reasons that reason knows not of. And for us, you know, we'd like to think ourselves as very reasonable beings, but, but the truth is we are, we are tremendously unreasonable people even if something is very clear, we will choose not to be convinced by it. And often, because we, we choose to scramble the, the airwaves in our own brain, we choose confusion over clarity because clarity isn't offering us what we want. And that's this big challenge. When, when people say, well, if I could see him, I'd believe him. Well, the truth is, no, you probably wouldn't. Because it says in John, it says that Jesus came to his own, but his own didn't receive him. Those who saw Jesus walking in the flesh didn't receive him. Why? Because they, they chose to scramble the airwaves. They chose confusion over the clarity of who he was and what he was speaking. So this is our last week of a four-week sermon series titled, Helping People See Jesus. And we've gone through a a number of ways that we could help people see Jesus. One of those ways is helping people see Jesus through Jesus as the fulfillment of the promise or Old Testament prophecies. So you could see that. You could look in the Old Testament and you you can say, well, hundreds of years, thousands of years before Jesus came, people wrote specific things and he fulfilled those specific things. And so you can say, well, if only I could see. And then we could take you and be like, well, see. And, and still, people would say, well, just, have you ever played the telephone game? You know, like I whisper in someone's ear and they whisper in someone's ear and they whisper in, you know, 
Like, give me a break. <laughs> we choose rather than receiving the clarity and the history. We, we choose to scramble the airwaves and choose confusion over clarity. Why? Because, because what does it mean to say, I believe that? It's, it's very challenging. Next week, we looked at what Jesus claimed about himself. He said, very absolutely, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when we look at what Jesus said about himself, we saw that he clearly said, if you follow me, if you put your faith in me, if you listen to my words, you will know. You will know how to be in relationship with the Father. But... Instead of choosing that clarity, we choose the confusion of, well, Jesus never really said he was God. (laughs) And we choose that rather than listening to what Jesus said. And Jesus said very clearly, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to God through me. Next we looked at, this was last week, we looked at the testimony of the lives of people that were changed. We looked at Peter and John and how when When uh, the Jews and those who disbelieved that Jesus had been risen from the dead, when they saw Peter and and John, they said, these men have been with Jesus. These men have seen something. But even though we see this incredible advance of the church, people willing to give their lives for the message of the gospel, still we will look at that and be like, they were just idiots. So rather than receiving clarity, we choose confusion. This week, we're going to look at the testimony of the the death and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. And the death death and resurrection of Jesus can be maybe one of the more challenging of seeing is believing because because while we have experience with maybe reading history or we have experience seeing the church in action, we, you and I don't have experience with resurrection from the dead. And so as we look at, at this claim that ignited the early church and that we still claim today, um, why do we do that? Um, if you look at the testimony of the early church, this is what it looked like. So while, while Jesus was alive, Jesus was constantly talking to his followers about, I will give my life, and yet when I give my life, it will be given back to me, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, but don't worry, because I'm coming back. And his disciples at that time, they didn't believe it, they didn't buy it. <laughs> they, they heard Jesus say these things, and they said things like, Jesus, that's just not smart, like people aren't, they aren't going to follow you. If you, if you talk crazy like that, and yet when, when he was challenged like that, Jesus literally turned to Peter and he was like, get behind me, Satan. Fairly firm words. And then after the resurrection of Jesus, this is what the disciples looked like. It says that, that Mary saw Jesus and she went back to the disciples, and the disciples, doubting her, ran to the tomb, and they didn't find anything, and still they were like, okay, what happened? Where's the body? Because, because you don't move even from this early church going from a people that all along are like, this is the mission of Jesus. 
But all along, even the early church is, is well, the, the early followers, I should say, are people who don't really believe in resurrection and don't believe that Jesus is going to rise from the dead. So what, what makes these people who aren't believers themselves into radical believers? Because these weren't people that, because this is our excuse often is this, we'll say, well, they just got it. There was something about it they just understood. And the fact is that, that the early followers, the disciples, they didn't just get it. It didn't just make sense to them. They had to see something that all of a sudden transformed them from very scared people who were like, Jesus is gone, let's just go back fishing, to people who were radically proclaiming the message that Jesus is alive. And that message changed the world. So what convinced them and what will convince you? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives just a short synopsis of what is most important to the church. Just a short synopsis of what is most important to the church. And this is what he writes. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and of which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. <clears throat> so what, what convinced them of this? What convinced Paul, Peter, the apostles, 500, this ever-increasing number that Jesus was alive? The first is this, is that there was an empty tomb. What convinced them that Jesus was alive? The first is an empty tomb. And, and I understand, I'm not like, the first point isn't gotcha, right? Because... Because you can have an empty tomb and then other things would be the case. Someone could have stolen the body, whatever. The first thing is an empty tomb. So, so as they come, it says the disciples, hearing that the women had found an empty tomb, they had seen Jesus, they, they ran to the tomb, it says, and, and they found it just as the women had said. So, so immediately there we have we have physical evidence that, well, non-physical evidence, I guess, right? There's no, I mean, there's grave clothes. <laughs> but, but immediately something has struck them as out of the ordinary, as curious, as different, as true. Another thing, though, with the empty tomb is this, that is important. I know right now you're like, you're not building a good case for yourself. Don't worry, we'll get there. <laughs> Second point is this. There was no good reason for them to make this up. There's absolutely no good reason for the disciples to make this up. Because messiahs, or people who claimed to be messiahs at this time, were kind of a dime a dozen. 
Right? There were zealots. There were people trying to leave re re revolution. There, there were people all the time going, hey, I'm the guy. There was no reason for the early church and the disciples, especially these fearing fishermen, to make up a story about Jesus' victory over death. The third thing is this, in the empty tomb, and, and this is the most important before we move to the next step, is that, that the revelation of the empty tomb and moving into the, the appearing of Jesus is that this happened in the context of a community. And what is so cool about this, this will help you remember, context of community, cool, is that for all other revelations, they happen in isolation where they can't be proved. Like, just two examples, Joseph Smith and Golden Tablets. That happens in isolation where it's, take my word for it. Muhammad's vision was, was in isolation, take my word for it. The revelation of Jesus empty tomb appearing happens in the context of a community. So it's not just one person going, Eureka, believe me. It's, it's a group of people, all who have doubted, all collectively coming to faith. So all of them going, it's not worth it, to them all going, this is worth it, let's give our lives. And that's, that's incredibly powerful. So imagine we have about, well, I don't know, 60 people here. Right After the resurrection of Jesus, says he appeared to Peter, to the 12, and to 500. So you might think if I walked in the back door and I was like, hey, somebody rose from the dead. Right? You'd be like, that's weird. But then if you have 60 people, imagine us here, who all have collectively seen Jesus go, are radically transformed by that, and are sharing Unbelievable news. Someone rose from the dead. Something's going on there. Collective vision. Community saying yes. Right? So this isn't, this isn't one, this is out in the ordinary, this is just take my word for it. So we have empty tomb and we move into the appearing of Jesus. That Jesus appeared to Peter, the twelve, and then 500 others. What's so interesting about this, and what, one of the reasons why I love the appearing of Jesus, is because it is so casual. So, so I'll take questions after. One-on-one, mono-mono. So, the casualness of this is... That it isn't a publicity stunt, right? It's not like, hey, here I am parading down Jerusalem. When Jesus comes back, this is what he's doing. He is reminding the disciples of the word he spoke previous to the death and resurrection. So he comes back, and in the intimacy of those followers, the people that had, had walked with him, hungered with him, bled with him, right? These men and women, he is communicating to them, what I have spoken to you is true, carry this on, keep going. There's this scene after the resurrection of Jesus where, where Peter and, and some of the twelve are, 
are fishing. They've gone back to fishing, and this is what happens. They're out fishing, and Jesus is on the, the shore, and he's like, hey, guys. <laughs> and, and Peter goes, is that Jesus? And he goes, it is Jesus. And, and so he just dives in and swims to Jesus. The, that's why I'm talking about the casual nature of this. Isn't Jesus like, okay, guys, this is how you rise from the dead. It's, it's Jesus reminding them of the truth he has already spoken, he has confirmed through his resurrection from the dead. It's not Jesus being outlandish. It's not Jesus being crazy. It's Jesus who is present with his disciples, confirming to them what he has already spoken to them. This is profound, and this is so different. It's not a ploy. It's not a tactic. It's not hurrah. It is, it is Jesus come. And, and this, is the, this is the incredible thing about it, is that what we see in Jesus coming casually like that is that we see in Jesus not what, what, what we want, but we see in him what we need. Because what we want when we choose Oreos over apples when we choose what is less over what is greater, because what is less has what? It entices us. It entertains us. It strikes us as fancy. Desire. And so what we desire isn't Jesus. Because as he comes back and he he walks among them and reveals to them what he has already revealed to them, not their wants, because they wanted a hero. He came to them saying, this is what you've always needed, and this is what I always was, and this is what I've proved by my resurrection. And, and he sent forward the, the ministry of people passing along the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection by a group of people who were seriously committed not to what people wanted, but to what people needed. And, and it, it struck me in a, in a huge way. As I was honestly, I was driving yesterday, and, and all of a sudden, I realized that, that Jesus didn't come to impress me, but he came to save me. And there, there's a big difference between that. Because when you say often, well, if I saw him, I'd believe him. What we often mean by that is, well, if he would impress me, maybe I would believe in him. But Jesus didn't come to impress you. He came to save you. And those are very different things. So the third part is we have an empty tomb. We have his appearing. But then the last part is this, that he is continuing to appear. And he's continuing to appear with his saving work to those who will put their faith in him. And this is huge because on, on Friday night, I was with some people. We were down at Wailing Days on, on Friday night. And, um, and as we, we stood in this big collection of people, I thought, I wonder how many of these people care about Jesus. Maybe a lot, maybe a little, I don't know. And then when I drove here this morning, I thought, okay, if, if these, this couple walking on the bridge or if you know, this person walking their dog, if they came this morning to church, how many of them would care about Jesus? Or if they heard me speaking, would they care any more about Jesus? 
That's a great question. How many of them would go, well, what does a guy who died 2,000 years ago have anything to do with me? Right? Who cares? Okay, maybe he rose from the dead, but why should I care about that? And why we should care about that is because it wasn't a conjurer's trick. And what the resurrection meant was not God saying, are you impressed? But it was God saying, I'm invested in your healing. I'm coming to a world that is broken, and I want to show it how it can be restored to relationship with me. And that's why you see the simplicity of Jesus as he rose from the dead, walking with his followers and simply explaining to them, this is the way you go, continue in it. I'm sending my spirit to remind you of the words that I have spoken. And that's the good news. Is is Jesus not going, hurrah, but Jesus going, "I, I rose from the dead not to impress you, but because in my death, your sins died with me. And in my life, you can be raised to new life. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to save you. And, and that is what the death and resurrection of Jesus means. So when we say, if you say, help me see Jesus, I'm not going to help you get more impressed by a guy rising from the dead. I'm going to show you that his death and resurrection meant your salvation. That your loneliness doesn't have to be there anymore. That you can be restored to relationship with God. And that's the good news. So if you have seen this, my encouragement is this. If you even caught a glimpse of it, this is my encouragement, is keep looking. Because this is, this is where we go wrong. Is, is we see and we're like... God, I need that. I want that. And then, then we go to a whaling days. We go wherever we go. And, we, and we're like, we just get lost in this context. So my encouragement is if you see him and you see your need, don't stop looking. There's this story in the book of Matthew where, where the disciples are in a boat and Jesus comes walking on water. And, and they go, Jesus, is that you? And they're terrified by him. They don't believe him. They don't believe what they see. And so Peter says, if that's you, call me and I'll come to you. And so Jesus says, come. It's all he just says, come. And so, so Peter gets out of the boat and he's walking towards him. He's probably really excited. And then and it says, and then he looked and he saw the wind and he saw the waves. And immediately he began to sink. I think that's where we find ourselves, where we're maybe at one of these points, whether it's, I'm so, I'm amazed that what, what God said, what was spoken hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus came, all of a sudden that's fulfilled in him, or, or wow, the claim Jesus made to be the way, the truth, and life, that, that's incredible. And, or maybe you're like, Jesus rose and, did, and that, that resurrection was for me, and that amazes you. But once you, once you take your eyes of that and you don't look to him, all of a sudden we find ourselves sinking. And this is what happens. Peter cries out and he says, he says, Lord, save me. And it says, Jesus reaches out his hand and pulls him up. So, if you say to me, 
help me see Jesus. This is what I want you to see. I want you to see today that his death and resurrection wasn't to shock and awe the world, but it was to save the world. And I ask you to fix your eyes on him, him who can save you and he who is your savior. And you might find yourself in that place where you are sinking because you took your eyes off him. It could have been for a moment. It could have been for a day. It could have been for the last five years. And you find yourself sinking because you're terrified because you stopped seeing. I encourage you to cry out, Lord, save me. And it says he is present and he is there and he will save you. How do we encourage that as a church? There's this beautiful part in, uh, in Hebrews 12 where, where it shows the people of God as this great cloud of witnesses cheering on those who are still running after Jesus. And that's what we can do as a church. We can be really good cheerers. And the way we do that is that you who see Jesus and are enjoying him, walking with those you're around and saying, do you see him? When was the last time you caught a glimpse of how good God is? That God came to save you, to rescue you, to reach into your loneliness and your brokenness and restore you to himself. Do you see it? I tell you what, guys, I, I have, um, promote, when I was very little, I have, I've been encouraged to see Jesus. But even though since I was little I was encouraged to see Jesus, I still need people around me who say, when was the last time you saw him? When was the last time you just got a clear picture? And I need that. I need that every single day. I need that in whatever context I'm in. I need that if I'm at work. I need that if I'm at whaling days. Right? I need that wherever I am. I mean, people just going, when was the last time you saw him? And to show each other. And that, that is the way we can be a powerful encouragement. And the more clearly we fix our eyes on him, the more clearly we will be able to help other people see Jesus. So, what will you choose? <laughs> Oreo or apple? <laughs> right? Will we be people who, when we wake up, when we leave here and we see, will I see Jesus and fix my eyes on him, or will I keep staring at the other things that provide distraction from him? And I pray for you guys. I pray over you guys. You guys will fix your eyes on Jesus. So it says in Hebrews 12, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And that is our salvation. Pray with me. God, I, I have this... This day will be a day that we see you clearly. We enjoy you. God, I know that not a word I spoke will be effective unless your spirit brings it alive in the hearts and minds of those who are here. I pray you will do that, and I pray that 
as we leave here, our hearts will just be burning and be excited and we'll be sharing with one another a side of you. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.